Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and we are so glad that you are joining us. This is week number two in our series called In Tune. We're talking about how we can grow in a closer connection with God. And maybe you've only been a Christian for a little while, you're new to the faith, and you're trying to figure out what that's all about. Or even if you've been a Christian for a while, and you know a lot about God, but maybe you don't feel like you really know God. Like each and every day, you don't feel like that relationship with him is close. No matter where you're at, my hope is that over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about just how you can grow more in tune with him and that that would be an encouragement and a challenge for you. And we believe that it is possible to be in tune with God because of what it says in James 4, 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And last week, we talked about how we can come near to God even when life is crazy busy. And if you missed that week and you want to go ahead and listen to that sermon, you can go to the Bridgewater app and you can watch the video from the Montrose campus or you can tune in to our Tunkhannock podcast. And this week, we are going to be talking about how we can draw near to God when we are facing some big problems in our lives. I think most of us know what it's like to have some kind of problem in our life that feels overwhelming, where you just kind of want to throw your hands up in the air and you're like, how can I even make it through this? Or maybe it's something that you experience on a daily basis and you're wondering how you can just go one more day. And if that's where you're at this morning, my hope is that what we talk about from God's word can really encourage you and challenge you in your faith. As you came in, everybody should have gotten one of these three by five cards and a pen. And if you didn't get one, just go ahead and shoot your hand up in the air. And we have some people in the back who would love to get one for you. So if you're all set with that, I want you to pull it out now. And it doesn't matter what side of the card, but just write down the biggest problem in your life that you are currently facing. It could be something going on with your health or the health of a loved one. Maybe there's some things that are difficult at work or you're going through uh, just relationship tensions. And I promise that we're not going to collect these cards at the end of the service. I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to ask anybody else to look at them. But this is really for you this to be thinking about what's going on in your life right now so that as we talk about what the Bible says, we can connect it to real life stuff. So I'll give you a minute just to work on that. There's somebody in the last service who's like, we need a bigger card for this. So you don't have to write an entire paragraph on here even if it's just a few little bullet points, that's totally fine. But this morning, we're gonna be getting into a story, which is a historical event that happened about 3,000 years ago. So I wanna start off with some historical background. Many of you probably know who King David is. He's the most famous king in Israel. And after David, his son Solomon sat on the throne. And Solomon started out following after God and worshiping him. So he had a good start, but later on in his life, he started worshiping false gods and disobeying God's commandments. And so God told Solomon that as a consequence of that, that the kingdom of Israel would be split apart. 
And so after Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel was split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And each kingdom had their own kings. So here's kind of a list of the kings who were on the throne in the southern kingdom. Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, and Jehoshaphat. And we're going to be talking about some events that happened during Jehoshaphat's lifetime. Or we can call him Japhat for short. But um, Jehoshaphat was facing a really big problem. Because not one, not two, but three enemy nations had united together to wage war against Judah. And by the time he found out about this, these guys had united. And they were in this place called En Gedi which as you can see is not too far from the capital of Judah. And we have the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Munites, which is kind of a silly name, but as we read through this story, these guys are also going to be referred to as the people of Mount Seir. So hopefully that'll clear things up a little bit. Now just imagine being King Jehoshaphat in this kind of situation. The odds are three to one what do you even do? Do you just kind of pack up your stuff and run away to a stronghold and just wish the best for your people? Or do you send your army out to fight a losing battle or make plans to surrender? I'm so glad that I am not a king who has to make decisions like that. But let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and see how Jehoshaphat responds in the face of this overwhelming problem. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're gonna pick up in verse three. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up here on the screen for you to follow along. It says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They realized that there's no chance that they can go up against this army. They don't have the strength. They don't have the numbers. They don't have hope unless their hope is in God. And so all the people are rallied together to give up food in order to just ask God for help. And they're assembled in front of the temple. And there Jehoshaphat just gives this cry to God. And I want to read it. And as we read through it, let's pay attention to his words, but also kind of the outline of what Jehoshaphat is saying. So first, Japhat he focuses on God's character and God's provision. In verse six, it says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. And then Jehoshaphat switches gears here and he starts talking about the problem that they are up against. He says, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. 
See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And then I love this line here at the end because Jehoshaphat talks about where he is placing his focus. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And kind of the outline of Jehoshaphat's cry to God is this. He focuses on the character of God and the provision of God. And then he talks about the problem, and he doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't minimize how severe this problem is. And then at the end, he says where he sets his focus. But to be totally honest with you guys, so often for me, I put my focus on the problem. I think that if I can just tackle this problem and get the problem out of the way, then things will be good. And sometimes in my pursuit of just getting that problem out of the way, I turn to other things except for turning to God. Like if it's my health or Gabby's health that isn't where we want it to be, I'll go right to the internet and try to diagnose myself from Google, even though doctors hate that. I'm like, that works for me. Or especially with Gabby being pregnant right now, if she has any kind of concerning symptom, I try to find peace of mind from information and doctor's visits instead of turning to God and trying to find peace of mind from him. And this is gonna sound kind of backwards, but sometimes we focus on the problem by trying not to focus on the problem. Like we just distract ourselves or we run to these coping mechanisms, whether that's blocking things out by just watching hours of television or running to the kitchen for comfort foods or looking to other people to fill that gap or get advice instead of looking to God. But Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel, they put their attention on God. And I believe that when we turn to God and cry out to him, that he is there for us. And we see this here in the story, that after Jehoshaphat cries out to God, God's spirit comes upon a prophet, and this prophet speaks to Jehoshaphat and all of the people. In verse 15, it says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat's like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And God's like, all right, watch me win this battle for you. You don't even have to swing a sword. And especially during this time period, but all throughout the Bible, we see these examples where God uses battles or hardships as an opportunity for people to turn to God. 
Like when things are so tough and they realize that they can't come through in their own strength, they call out to God for help. And God doesn't just make things hard in their lives for the sake of making things hard, but maybe it's that battle or that hardship that gives God the opportunity to show up and to prove his faithfulness and to prove his power. And in our own lives, we might not be fighting physical battles or have people who want to take our lives. We have problems and we have hardships. And it could just be that God has placed this hardship in our lives so that we could come to the point of realizing we can't make it through in our own strength. We need God. We need his help. And it could be that God is using that problem in our life as an opportunity to show us his faithfulness and to show us his power. And I think it's so amazing that in this story, God says he's gonna fight this battle for them. They don't even have to swing a sword. And I was kind of wondering, why would God just take care of this all by himself? Why didn't he give them like super strength or ninja skills or this fighting ability to go into battle and take on this enemy? And I don't know for sure, but I kind of wonder if that is so, that there is no room for anybody to take credit for what, what God does in winning this battle. That it is unmistakably clear that God is the one who came in and gave them the victory. And I'm sure that, that it was tough for these people to actually believe that God would give them this victory. Even though God says that they don't have to fight, he tells them to take a step of faith he tells them to get into their positions and start marching towards these enemy nations. Now, can you just imagine being in the Israelite army and you're marching towards this battle zone and you're just thinking, all right, God says he's gonna be with us. He says he's gonna fight this battle. But what if he doesn't come through? Then with every step I take, I'm just taking a step towards death. That'd be so hard. And so... These people, they needed to keep their focus on God so that they wouldn't just focus on, on this problem that they were marching towards. And the way that they did that was through worship. Worship is God's battle plan. Let's go ahead and look at verse 21 here. This is after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And so, as they're marching into battle, they're keeping their focus on God by thinking about his holiness and thinking about his love. And we know that worship reminds us how big our God is. We know that God is big because of what the Bible says. But the Bible is not just a theology textbook that is disconnected from real life. And all throughout history, and even in our personal lives, we've seen God prove his power and prove his faithfulness. And so these people are keeping their minds on God's holiness. And I don't know what they were thinking of, but maybe it's when their ancestors were in the wilderness and they were camped out at the base of this mountain 
And up on top of the mountain, Moses was getting the Ten Commandments from God. And the people in the camp weren't even allowed to go up on that mountain because they are sinful and God is holy. And that just doesn't mix together. We're thinking about the temple and how in the center of the temple, there's this chamber called the Holy of Holies that only the high priest is allowed to enter once a year. So God is a holy God, but he's also a loving God. And they probably thought about how God delivered their ancestors from Egypt and gave them this land as a possession. And as New Testament believers, we see the love of God displayed in Jesus, how the holiness of God separated us from a relationship with him, but from his holiness poured out his love. And he sent Jesus to earth to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that we deserve to die so that we could be cleansed of our sins and have a relationship with him forever. And this is so key when we are facing hardships in our lives to focus on the truth of God. As you came in this morning, everybody should have gotten one of these little handouts. And as you see on the one side, there's a bunch of scripture passages. And then on the other side, there's a bunch of songs that go with those scripture passages. And I know for a lot of people, worship music is so helpful for just making it through the day and focusing on God. And what's so helpful is to know that the songs that we listen to are communicating to us truth about God and remembering those truths of what the Bible says. And so if you're just looking for some ideas of music that you could be listening to to remind yourself of God, here's just a few songs here that maybe you would want to add to your playlist. And I want to move on to this next verse here. It starts with one little word that I think is so powerful. The word is as. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Israelites were just praising God over here, and God was attacking their problem. And God made it so that the enemy nations rose up against each other and killed each other off so that there was nobody left to pose a threat to the Israelite people. And this story ends with these couple of verses. In verse 29, it says, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. I just think about the what could have been. What if Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah never turned to God to help them in this battle? What if they thought they could just handle it in their own strength? Or even if they didn't think they could handle it in their own strength, what if they just tried to ah, just make do but left God out of the equation. It would be a totally different story. And here's the takeaway for us. I think that worship precedes peace. Like a heart of worship goes before experiencing the peace of God. But I wanna clarify what this peace is. Because even if we call out to God and we turn to him for help, 
That doesn't mean that God's just gonna take all of our problems away. And even if you have turned to God and you've called out to him and this problem in your life continues to persist, it doesn't mean that you're not focusing on God hard enough. I do think that God is perfectly capable of just rescuing us from the hard times in our lives. But sometimes that's not part of God's plan. But even still, when we turn to God, he offers us peace. And that peace can come through walking through that hardship with God and knowing that he is with you every step of the way, that he is loving and that he is good. And I think about what it says in Psalm 23, that God leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes God doesn't just give us a shortcut around the valley of the shadow of death so that we don't have to go through it. But his promise is to guide us through it. The way the apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4.16, is he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul had peace. He did not lose heart, but he didn't have peace because God just took his problems away. And the problems and the disappointments that Paul faced were a reminder to him that this life is temporary. This life is not all that there is. And as his problems got harder and harder, I think his relationship with God got stronger and stronger. And each day, he was being renewed with the peace of God, the joy that comes from God, and the hope of God. And that hope came from looking beyond his present circumstances to being with God forever and eternity, where the glory far outweighs the struggle of this life. And God is invisible. Heaven is invisible. We can't see those things. But we can still set our focus on God. And worship is a key way to set our focus on him. Worship is just giving value to God. And that's not limited to just singing. But a singing is a big part of that, which is hard for me because I am not musically inclined. But in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This morning, I don't wanna just talk about worship. I wanna give us the opportunity to get our hearts in the right place to worship him. And one way that we can do that is to just focus on the truth of God. And if you want to go ahead and pull out that three by five card that you started with, grab your pen. I want to encourage you to write down some things that are true about God that you can focus on as you work through the problem in your life. Or some things to focus on about God to worship him. And if you don't have anything that comes to your mind and you're just looking for a starting place, you can go ahead and use this handout and read some of the verses here 
and write those down on the card. So I'll give you a moment just to do that. If you're still writing, you can keep on writing. But we're going to switch things up a little bit this week, and we are going to close with two songs. And the first song that we're going to sing is one called Battle Belongs. I just want to read a couple lines of this song, and I switched out the word battle for problem. It says, so when I fight, I will fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, oh God, the problem belongs to you. In every fear, I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night, oh God, the problem belongs to you. And as we sing this song together, I want to encourage you to make those words your words, to give your problem over to God, to come to that moment of saying, God, I can't handle this on my own. I need you. And to use this as a time to really connect with God through worship. And maybe for you, the best way to do that is to sing loud with your hands in the air. For others of you, maybe that means staying where you are and just praying while the rest of us sing that song. Or for some of you, you've sung this song over and over again and you sing about it, but you haven't really taken the time to slow down and to focus on the words. And if that's the case, maybe the best way for you to worship God this morning is to focus on the words of this song and to direct those words to God in the form of a prayer. So let's pray, and then we are going to transition to the next part of singing. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God. You are worthy of all of our worship. And you've given us the breath in our lungs, not to use selfishly, but to just turn back to you in praise and service. And I ask that, that we would just live lives of worship, not just singing in church or listening to worship music, but just waking up every day and making you the center of our lives. And sometimes I think that means turning to you when we are going through hard times. I ask that when we go through hard times, that our prayer wouldn't be that you would just rescue us and make things easier, but our prayer would be that you would work in us and that you would... Just cause us to see your power and to see your faithfulness and to have our, our faith strengthened through that. God, thank you again just for your goodness. Thank you for your love and for sending Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that we can have this hope of having a relationship with you that starts today and lasts for all of eternity. I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.